His reason for getting a hold of me, I want to get a hold of it. He got a hold of me because he wanted me to be possessed by him. Well, I want to be possessed by him. He got a hold of me because he wants me to be filled with all of his fullness. Well, I want to be filled with all of his fullness. He got a hold of me so that he can have another, another voice, another mouthpiece, another set of hands. Well, I want these to be his hands. I want this to be his mouthpiece. That's what Paul is saying. He says, I'm not fully there. I'm cooperating, I'm, I'm growing, I'm, and everything else. I'm not yet, I haven't yet arrived, but I'm continuing to press. And because I'm not quite there yet, I can't anything else, anything that would be a hindrance, that would slow me down, I lay it all aside. He says, just to quote um, Psalm 17, verse 15, I will not be satisfied until I awake in his likeness. I will not be satisfied until any time I catch myself, I am beholding him. Amen? You need to sneak up on yourself sometimes. <laughs> Amen? Brethren, I count not, verse, 5, verse 13, but because this is what it's about, because this is his resolve, because this is his passion and his pursuit, he says, I count myself, um, no, sorry, yeah, not to have apprehended, but this one thing, this one thing I've gotten a hold of, forget those things behind and reach forth for those things which are before. I press towards the mark. Of the prize, the, the mark for the prize of the high call of God in Christ. I press towards the mark. Well, the mark, the mark and the prize are in the same place. I press towards the mark, and that mark is where I get the high prize. What am I saying? I'm confusing myself. <laughs> I pre am I confusing you too? <laughs> I press towards the mark for the prize that comes when I get there and here where is this here here is the high call is that okay so here is the high call this is the mark and when I get there there's a prize what is this high call what is this mark this mark is when I'm so consumed with him this mark is when I'm totally possessed by him and what is the prize the prize is he gets me I get him now he is my inheritance he is my inheritance experientially amen he is my life and it is him that I'm now manifested I get the reward of being filled with all of the fullness of God it does not yet appear what we shall be, but when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone that has that hope purifies himself, even as he is pure. Amen? Verse 15, let us therefore, as many of us as be perfect, as many of us as be thus minded, as many of us that have this kind of mindset, to have that mind of Christ dominant in you, to have every thought be captive to his. To every one of you that be thus minded, if in anything you be otherwise minded, may God reveal even this unto you. Nevertheless, whereto we have attained, let us walk by the same rule. Well, however far you come, don't backslide from there. Amen? Now, this message is going to mean different things for each and every one of us. The steps that you might need to take to go forward might be different to someone else in a sense. But you've got to go forward from where you are. You've got to press from where you are. Verse 16, nevertheless, hereto we have already attained. Let us walk by the same rule. Let us mind the same thing. Brethren, be followers together of me. Paul says, use me as an example. He says, look, I don't conk my life dear unto myself. 
that I might finish my course with joy. I come to all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. Amen? Paul says for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So brethren, be ye followers together of me. And mark them which walk so as you have, as you have us for an example. For many walk of, watch this, for many walk of whom I have told you often, and now I tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ. Paul says there are those, they've known the Lord and everything else, they came to the knowledge of God, but they are the way they, they are enemies of the cross of Christ. In other words, they have not embraced the sacrifice. They have not embraced the fact that they're crucified with him, buried with him, resurrected with him. They haven't embraced that. Amen? All right. So, we are talking about this press. What is, what is this all about? Now, successful Christianity, so to speak, is simple. It's simply this. And let me almost, not a definition, but let me put this out there. It is really simple. What is it? It's functioning in the nature and in the person of Christ. And it's cooperating with the Holy Spirit so that he can cause that life of Christ to be manifested and bring you into all that God has for you. Amen? What is it, what is it about? What is it? Christianity, Christ-likeness, what is it about? What is he after? What, what, what is this all about? We are to function in the nature of Christ. In the very person of Christ. But in order to do that, we got to cooperate with the Holy Ghost. And as we cooperate with the Holy Ghost, He will cause that life of Christ to be made manifest. And He will bring you into all that He has for you. In other words then, He will not only cause the life to be made manifest, but the works that He has ordained that you should walk in from before the foundation of the world will also become a reality. So our priority needs to be what? Functioning in that nature of Christ. And whatever it takes to do so. Now check this out. Before you were born again, whether it be for 10 years, 20, 30, 40, whatever the case is, you were a product of the various inputs in your life from, from the world, from wherever. You are a product of all of that. But now you got born again. God says, hey look, all things have passed away. You're a new creation. Um, you, you, you know, that, that life has come to an end. And he says, now, you are programmed by all of that. He said, but now, you must now be conformed to the image of Christ. You must now no longer be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Romans chapter 12 verse 2. How do I cooperate with the Holy Ghost? What is it going to take for this press? It's going to take a renewing of the mind. Which of course you need. You got to meditate in the word. Ephesians 4 verse 23 says you need the whole spirit of your mind renewed. There's a whole lot of attitudes that have to change. But now what, do we, what are we talking about? The renewing of the mind. Hear this. You have got to become captive to the word. Not just knowing the word. But where you have become captive to the word. Where you having the mind of Christ. And where you become. Now hear this. Where you become. Okay. I don't want to be. I was going to sound spiritual. By saying that where you become the word made flesh. But I'll back off from that. But where you become the word in action. 
Are you with me? Not just knowing the word, but being captive to the word. Second Corinthians chapter 10 verse 5, a scripture we're familiar with. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty true God to the pulling down of strongholds and imaginations, etc., etc. And bringing every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Making every thought obey Christ. Making every thought be the extension of him, captured by him. Amen? Say, I want to be a prisoner of his love. Amen? That's, that's okay. Because he's good. <laughs> Our very thoughts and mind must become captive to Christ. Now, so we're talking transformation. Now this transformation, how does it come about? It comes about by a constant, continual obedience and yieldedness. By obeying and yielding, obeying and yielding. And it is a work of the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost performs it. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 17... That, that, the, that the Holy Spirit, that He is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is what? Liberty. And then it says, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord. We are transformed and changed from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of God. Amen? That meditating is that beholding. But as we behold, as we bring these thoughts into captivity, as we do all of these things, what happens? The Holy Ghost works within us, through us, and He transforms us, and He changes us, and brings us into the very image of what we see, which is the very image of Christ. And Jesus says, when the Holy Ghost has come, that's what He was going to do. He was going to lead you, guide you into all truth, and He was going to glorify Christ. Amen? Now hear this. Are you with me? Jesus also said, said the Holy Ghost. I need to put an emphasis on the Holy Spirit here. Because He is the agent of God that produces this transformation. It's not just works. Amen? It's not works. Now before Jesus left, He had said to the disciples, Hey look, right? don't take off yet. <laughs> right? Just wait here until you receive the Holy Ghost. I'll send Him. And when he has come, he's going to do these things. But you wait here. Then what did they do? The Bible says they went up into the upper room and they spent, they spent 10 days praying and seeking God, coming into a place of unity and one accord. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, boom, here came the Holy Ghost. He said you were going to receive power. Here the Holy Ghost came and they, and they were, quote, baptized in the Holy Spirit. Now I'm mentioning the word baptized in the Holy Spirit as opposed to being filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm not saying they're not the same. But I want to bring an emphasis on the issue of baptism. I want us to, just, to not just be trapped in, 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 in tongues and trapped in, in, in these things. Not that those things, nothing's wrong with that. But I want us to see that this baptism of the Holy Spirit was for a purpose. It was to bring us into the power of God. It was to bring us into a place where we are not just born again, but where we are possessed by Him. Amen? So the baptism of the Holy Spirit, um, it was not merely just to speak in tongues, but it was to make real Christ to you and in you and, 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 um, and who He is. The fullness of the Godhead in Him was to reveal Christ. The baptism of the Holy Spirit was for the very purpose of immersing you into Christ's death and immersing you into his life and immersing you into his power and glory. 
All right. Let's put it another way. The baptism of the Holy Spirit was so that you can, the old life can cease to exist and the life of God possess you instead. Are you with me? Now that is why when you learn certain things of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it's going to be to, to that end. To what? Bring fulfillment to what's done in your spirit. Bring Christ out, but in bringing Christ out, old man crucified. The Bible says the kingdom of God is not just in word, but in power. First Corinthians chapter 4 verse 20. But what is that power? That power is not tongues. That power, and I'm not against tongues, don't get me wrong. Tongues are going to be one of the practical exercises of cooperating. But power is not the tongues. Power is not even the revelation knowledge. You might lay hands on a few folks and they get some results, but that's not the power. The power is the Holy Spirit coming upon you. Um, Luke chapter 4 verse 18. Jesus said, the Spirit of the Lord is what? Upon me. When Jesus came back from the wilderness, the Bible says he came out with the Holy Ghost and power. The power of the Lord was upon him. Now that power is the glory of God. So it is wonderful that the Holy Spirit is in me. It is great that the Holy Spirit is in us. But that's one aspect of the anointing. There is another aspect of the anointing, which is the Holy Ghost that comes upon you. And that coming upon you, Holy Ghost, that upon you aspect is very important. Because that is where the power being made manifest is connected. Amen? Christ is in you. But Christ also needs to be upon you. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Turn with me to, uh, we don't have time, let me just tell you the story. Remember in, in, in Acts chapter 19, Paul was in a particular place for a couple of years. Miracles and wonderful, wonderful things were happening. In Acts chapter 19 verse 11, it says there were even handkerchiefs and so on that were brought from Paul's body that was placed on the sick and the sick and people got healed, people got delivered. The evil spirits went out of them and it was wonderful. Great things were happening. And then these sons of Sceva saw what was going on and they decided they were going to try to mimic Paul. And they went and they tried to see if they could cast out devils by this God that Paul serves. And what happened? The man who was demon possessed turned around and attacked them. I think it was seven sons of Sceva, right? It's in Acts chapter 19, 10 to 16. And rip their clothes off and run them out of town. All right? That was embarrassing. <laughs> but now let's understand something here. Now hear me carefully. Number one, there was a reason why what happened with those guys happened. But Paul was having great results. What, what was the difference? Number one, you got to be born again. Number two, you got to be filled with the Holy Ghost. Baptism of the Holy Spirit. But number three, you got to literally begin to resemble Jesus. That's talking about transformation. That's talking about holiness. That's talking about sanctification. So let's slip over there a little bit. Is that okay? All right? You can still jump, jump up and run around if, if you get real excited. <laughs> Amen? Praise the Lord. Your spirit is. Romans chapter 1 verse 4. Check this out. Romans chapter 1 verse 4 says... Paul, talking about Jesus, he was declared to be the Son of God with power. Say power. According to the spirit of holiness. According to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Now let me, not, let me just back up a little bit because of them. 
So then people get all kinds of misconceptions about holiness. I, whenever I think about holiness, the way it was revealed to me some years ago, whenever you think holy, think only. Think God only. Yieldedness to Christ. So holiness has to do with Christ-likeness. Has to do with Christ-likeness. John chapter 5 verse. So what was Jesus' secret for all this success? Number one, it was according to the spirit of holiness. And if you look at John 5, 3 and similar verses, you will see Jesus says, I can of myself do nothing. I am so dependent on the Father. Without him, I cannot do nothing. And that dependency, that humility, that yieldedness is what caused him to operate in such power. Now, shouldn't we copy him? Right? So we are to be conformed to the image of Christ. And First Thessalonians 3, verse 12 and 13, you can look it up, but it connects up walking in love with holiness. Amen? The degree of... Okay, let me put it this way. Second Corinthians 4 verse 10 says, Always bearing about in your body as you live here on this earth, the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Christ might be made manifest. And that's what you want. You want the life of Christ manifested. Those around you, that's what the world needs. The life of Christ coming out of the believers. But in order for that life to come forth, it says you've got to bear about in your body the dying of the Lord Jesus. Which means you've got to identify with his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. What does that mean? It means then the degree of our dying or yieldedness is going to be the degree to which that life in us is made manifest. Right? You know, there is this image of, um, what's it called? Uh, not a broken vessel, but uh, what's it called? Uh, earth. Earth, what's that, what's that thing with earth and clay, pottery? Anyway, something like this. Like, you know, here you have this vessel. Right? It's made out of whatever, clay or something. And there's this beautiful light in the inside. But somehow for that light to come forth, that vessel needs to be somewhat broken. That vessel has to have some cracks. That vessel has to have some openings so that that light could come forth. Are you with me? So here we have this light of Christ on the inside of us. But for that light to come forth, there's going to have to be some amount of brokenness. There's going to have to be some amount of yieldedness. There has to be some kind of being contrite. There's got to be that aspect in order for that. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. That the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. But it needs to come forth. Amen. So, you know, uh, uh, 2 Timothy 2 verse 11 and 12. You can check that out also. It says that, that, that if we deny him. No, it says that if we, be, if we want to reign with him. We got to suffer with him. We got to be buried with him in order to live in the power of his resurrection. It goes hand in hand. So there is this issue of yieldedness, this issue of humility, this issue of holiness. And in fact, so it is the Holy Ghost that has to do this. Say the Holy Ghost. Now if he's going to have to do it and, I'm, and it's going to require this cooperation, my cooperation with him, your cooperation with him, what does that look like? Now, the Bible has patterns, and I think patterns are, you can learn a lot from patterns. If you look, well, we just saw in the New Testament, before the Holy Ghost came in a mighty way, what did we saw? We saw that they were seeking God, and they were praying for about 10 days. They were in one accord, and they were in unity. And they had come to such a place of yieldingness that, bam, here came the Holy Ghost. But we, in other words, when the house was prepared, but we see a pattern, and the pattern we see is this throughout the Word, that if you would prepare the place, He will come. Amen? You look at the Old Testament. When, the build, when, when God gave the instructions as to how to build the tabernacle. And when they, when they followed those instructions and the tabernacle was fully built, what happened? 
The Holy Ghost came and the glory of the Lord filled the place to the point that no one could even stand up and minister. Remember, but when did the Holy Ghost came? When did the power of God and the glory of God manifest? When they had done what he said. When the house was prepared. So then it tells me that if we are his house and we prepare the house for the Holy Ghost, then he'll show up. Amen? He will show up. When we prepare the place, he will come. Okay, so what does it require in us? Number one, we got to yield ourselves. Romans 12 verse 1 puts it this way. It says, present your body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Number two, we got to develop a lifestyle of seeking Him, seeking Him daily, continually in prayer. Wherever you pray, I mean, you know, find time slots, make time slots, create time slots, when you might just seek Him, not just for the things, but just to fellowship, just to talk with Him. Amen. You don't have to be, um, you don't have to be a great prayer warrior. But all he says is, come away, come away with me, come away my beloved, come away into this closet, shut the door, shut the world outside, and come, let us fellowship together. Just come, let's spend some time. And I'm going to be looking for you tomorrow. In fact, tomorrow, if you come at the same time, or if you come and I know you're coming, I'll be there before you get there. You don't want to leave him waiting, do you? What am I saying? I'm saying there must be that element of praying every day, and you've got to make a point, you've got a, you've got a purpose to do so. Amen? It is said concerning Smith Wigglesworth, a man who is, it is recorded that he raised about 14 people from the dead. There were a couple of things about, about his life. I'm just going to name about five of them. Number one, in the area of intercession, he never went more than half hour without talking to God. He lived in a constant place of acknowledging him. Tongues, he prayed in tongues often. He prayed in tongues a lot. In fact, toward his preaching, he prayed in tongues while preaching. <laughs> number three his worship life he had a lifestyle of worshipping the Lord and worshipping God and, and he loved worship now what can we take from that it means for you and I what we can take from that is that we can create an atmosphere as much as is possible in our own lives in our home and in our car have worship music playing and, and, and so on just to, uh, just to create an atmosphere amen your spirit will like it. Number four, meditating. He refused to eat. He would not eat unless he read a chapter in the Bible before he eat, before any meal. And then, of course, then he would spend time in his spare time reading the Word. He had a love and a passion and a hunger for the Word. And we must pray and cry out to God, give us that hunger. Let us have that passion for your Word. Number five, he learned to walk continually in an unbroken fellowship with God. Which is to say, he learned to practice the presence of God. He learned to, 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 to live in a place where he was in constant communion, aware of his indwelling presence. And we need to develop those things. Amen? We've got to be, we have to prayerfully cultivate this kind of lifestyle. This lifestyle of, of surrendering and yielding and hunger and, and, and for hunger for God and zeal. The Bible says one of the reasons why Jesus was able to accomplish what he did is because the zeal for the house of God and for the Father consumed him. We must pray ourselves in the position to stir up uh, such a passion. And by the way, prayer doesn't just happen. It says in Isaiah 64 verse 7, and this was, if you, if you want to call it God complaining, right? Um, but this was God stating. God says concerning his children, he said this is the problem. He says they don't stir themselves up. To take a hold of me. 
Well, when we flip that around, he is, he is also saying that you need to stir yourself up to take a hold of him. Amen? Humility. Endeavoring to walk in humility. Losing, and, 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 and as we're talking about these things that we are to walk in, similarly, prayerfully, we need to loosen ourselves from the complacency, from, 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 from the indifference, and, and from dead religion, and those things. But these are things that we are able to do. There's none of this that is beyond us. But it does take doing. If we hear and we do not do, then we're in deception. If you have revelation and you don't act in it, still deception. Isn't that what the word of God says? If you be hearers and not doers, you deceive yourself. Let me close by saying this. Turn with me to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Paul is a great example. Paul says for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. In Acts chapter 20 and verse 19, he says, Serving the Lord with all humility of mind, and with many tears and temptations, which befell me by the laying in wait of the Jews. May I say this to you? When Paul wrote in, in Philippians, I count all things but loss, and I'm pressing for the more for the prize of the high calling of God. And when Paul wrote, Rejoice in the Lord always, and all these other things, I can do all things through Christ that strengthen me. Paul was in jail. Paul was in prison. Now I hope you're not in prison. But then there might be some things in your life that are a prison. Either way, the point is, here Paul was in a physically difficult situation. And of course, and then there were the accusations, the Jews were trying to kill him and everything else. But in the midst of that environment, what did he do? He served God. And you and I have to learn to serve God from wherever we are. Whatever the circumstances are. Wherever you are at. Good, bad, indifferent, or ugly, serve God where you are. In the midst of it all. And, and when you are weak, the Bible says he is strong. He will empower you. He will help you. But you got to decide, I'm going to serve him regardless of what. Amen. Anyway, so it says here in verse 11, serving the Lord with all, verse 19, sorry, Acts 20, 19, with all humility of mind. And then verse 22 and now behold, Paul says, I go in the spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there, except that the Holy Ghost witnesses that, you know, bonds and afflictions await me and so on and so forth. But Paul, this phrase, now behold, I go bound in the spirit. What is he talking about? I go bound in the spirit. Paul was saying, look, I am so yielded and abandoned to God that I have no choice. My only choice is for God. Is that just, I have a choice, but I have no choice. Because the only choice I make is God's choice. My only desire is God's desire. My only ambition is Him. His will. I am bound. I am bound to the will of God. And that's what Paul was saying. Amen? I don't know about you, but that sounds like some serious consecration. But, but that, is, that is part of what is required. That is what the Lord is saying. We want to live this life. We want to have this successful, effective Christian life. We want his life manifested. However, it takes a cooperation. It's the Holy Ghost that's going to do it, but it takes a cooperation with him. And the cooperation that, it, that is required of us, I'm calling it press. Say press. Press what for? Press to possess. Possess what? Possess him and him possess you. Hallelujah. Oh, you're teaching possession. No, Holy Ghost possession. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Amen. You receive this? 
Glory to God. This is the truth. The Bible says you will know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Blessed be the name of the Lord.